Good morning and welcome. Thank you for being seated. My name is Craig Thompson. I'm a senior pastor here, and it is our privilege to have you with us. If it feels like we got a little bit more space in here this morning, we did add 35 seats last week so we could make sure, 36 seats last week, excuse me, sir, I'm sorry, so that we could make sure that there is an extra, enough room. So uh, uh, please, if you're watching at home because you couldn't find a seat last week, come back. We, got, we, we made room for you, but uh, we're going to do all that we can to continue to uh, make as much space available as possible as the Lord continues to bring you guys in. If you have your Bible, we're going to be in the book of Romans chapter 1. Romans chapter 1. We've been reading through and preaching through the Bible beginning in Genesis since January. So we've made it to the book of Romans. As you're turning, we are doing something different today. We have a, a, a somewhat normal kind of Sunday evening service. When I say normal, I should say more of a traditional kind of idea. We don't do this very often. Uh, we will be in the sanctuary tonight, 6 o'clock. We'll be gathered in here, and we're going to do something we used to do a lot and haven't done in a few years. We're going to do a live Q&A uh, during the uh, worship service, so I'll be up here, and you can ask me anything you want. And if I don't have the answer, Buster will. So, um, But uh, wherever you are, I'm calling on you, brother. But uh, we just... What I've found through the years is that sometimes the things that, that we, uh, maybe as pastors and staff and, and leadership, think that, that we need to be talking about, sometimes we miss some things that you guys just have questions about. And so uh, if you would like to email those in, you can. my email address is on the website at cthompsonmalvernhill.org. A lot of you have my phone number. You can text them to me. Or if you just want to show up and ask them, we'd love to do that and try and answer some of those questions. So hopefully you'll come out tonight and be a part of that. We'd love for you to be here. Okay? You can see the other things listed in the bulletin. Keep in mind, Thanksgiving is, is here this week, so the, um, the regular office, or the office hours here in the office are abbreviated this week, so please be aware. Um, we'll, we'll be closed Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, so um, uh, if you need something, get, get with us. Of course, you can always contact uh, your deacon on call if the need arises. And then just a reminder, next Sunday evening, we do have life group fellowships, so Hopefully, um, your life groups have made an effort and time to spend some time together next weekend as we emphasize that fellowship component. Lastly, I think I already said finally, but lastly, let me just say that you guys did a wonderful job. I was so excited for the way that our Thanksgiving dinner turned out. I've said repeatedly that one of the things that we're trying to emphasize here in the last quarter and, and even into the first quarter of 2022 is, is fellowship. That might seem like a minor thing, but our church has grown and changed so dynamically in the past 18 months or so that we, we just have folks that don't really know one another. And so we're really trying to emphasize some of those fellowship opportunities, whether that's small things like life group fellowships or bigger things like our Thanksgiving meal last week. Just great job inviting folks, getting to know different people. I was excited to see uh, guests and all sorts of folks to show up. And we'll have more of those coming up. As you look at those opportunities that present themselves sort of through the church calendar, one of the things we'll do, we've got a bonfire planned and some of y'all will come Listen, it's, it's just an opportunity to get to know somebody that you don't know. And uh, we, we, trust me, there is, there is value, there's spiritual value in the relationships that we build within our church body. Because as we grow in those relationships, we have opportunities to actual do, actually do real ministry, real accountability, real care for one another. Those things happen in, in the context of relationships. So I encourage you to be a part of those things. Having said all that, book of Romans chapter 1, I'm going to ask you to stand with me in honor of God's word. I'm going to begin going to read just verses 16 and 17 these verses really set the stage for the entire book of Romans so Paul kind of gives us this as sort of his theme for the book for I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes to the Jew first and also to the Greek 
For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith. As it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I thank you for loving us in spite of ourselves and for the imputed righteousness of Christ that is spoken of in these verses. Father, teach us today how it is that we may represent you well to others and how we may carry your gospel to the world. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Please be seated. Thank you. I've titled this sermon this morning, It's Not That Hard. And what is the it here? Making an impact in the world as a follower of Jesus, making an impact for Christ is not quite as hard as some of us make it out to be. We have this idea often that somehow living the gospel out, living as Christ's people in the world is sort of this gray glob that we're trying to find our way into. It's kind of like learning to make biscuits. Any of y'all know how to make biscuits? I've watched some people make biscuits, okay? Some of you ladies have made biscuits for me, and y'all are wonderful for that. I've seen, but I've seen, I've seen my wife make biscuits regularly. I saw my mom make biscuits as a kid. And, and, and a person that really knows how to make biscuits doesn't use anything except a bowl and flour and whatever kind of lard they're going to go after and milk, right? That's about it. There are no notes. It blows my mind. But they're doing this all by, by feel. And so you say, hey, can you teach me how to make biscuits? What do I put in them? Well, you put a little bit of this and you put a little, but how much? Well, about this much. That's my favorite, about this much. What is that? What is this? My mother-in-law tells a really good story about trying to learn from her, her mother-in-law how to make this chocolate cake that she made. And she said, well, how much do I put in? She said, well, you put in three dips of this and two dips of that. She said, well, what is a dip? This is, she still baked in a, in a, in a, uh, a wood stove. She said, well, what is a dip? Well, you know, it's about this much. Well, a lot of times we sort of think that living the Christian life is kind of like that. Making an impact for Christ is sort of this, this sort of experience of, well, you do a little of this and a little of that. Well, let me tell you something. I can't make biscuits the way my wife makes biscuits. Can't make biscuits the way my mama makes biscuits. But I can make biscuits. And they're good. But I can make biscuits because I found a recipe one time. And that recipe said if I would put three cups of this and two cups of that and just a little bit of this and this, and boom, you know what? They don't turn out the same way, but they're edible. They're not bad. Folks, I want you to know that making an impact for Jesus Christ doesn't have to be that hard. Making an impact in the world doesn't have to be sort of a little of this and a little. There, there's actually a pretty simple recipe that we can follow. And if we follow that simple recipe, we can make a difference in the world, a gospel difference in the world around us. And I believe that we can see three very practical steps right here in this passage of Romans. Now, this is an incredibly important passage of Scripture. As a matter of fact, it is this passage, these two verses that set in motion the Protestant Reformation. Martin Luther, more than 500 years ago now, was conflicted by these verses of Scripture. As he read these verses, Luther read, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith that is written, The righteous shall live by faith. And when Luther read that, Luther was convinced there was no way that anybody could ever be saved because he got so caught up on righteousness. 
And he missed the part where it is God's righteousness that is given to us. We're going to see some of that in just a few minutes as we move forward. But this, these two verses this morning, I believe, in addition to being historically, incredibly, explosively important, actually are very practically important to your life and to mine as we wrestle with the question of how can we make a gospel impact. The first thing that we've got to do is we've got to trust in the power of the gospel. Trust in the power of the gospel. Paul said, I am unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's interesting to see the way that commentators wrestle through this passage of Scripture, right? Was Paul sort of making a creedal statement? In other words, it's just a statement, I am not ashamed. There is nothing to be ashamed of in the gospel. Or is this a, a psychological statement that Paul says, I do not feel shame? The truth of the matter is it's probably both. We've got to be careful that we don't necessarily d d divide these things too, too closely. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe that cold weather gives us an opportunity to really understand this. Any of you ever been so cold before that you just stacked on the most ridiculous-looking layers of clothing, and at some point you just didn't really care what the whole world thought because you were just trying not to freeze it? You've been there before? I sat at a football game Friday night. I've sat at a lot of football games here lately. And I'm going to tell you what, people show up at football games, they look like all sorts of things. They look like they're either going to climb Mount Everest or they're going to hunt, you know, animals on, uh, out in the, the, the wilderness in the Rocky Mountains. I mean, they're just dressed in whatever they can find to keep them warm. They pull out, they pull out all these little hand warmer things. I saw somebody, this is no lie, I saw somebody that smuggled a heater into the football game Friday night in a baby stroller. And I heard them bragging about it. Somebody walked past it. Did you get your heater in? She, oh, yeah, we got our heater in. Pushing that thing. I don't know if they even had a kid. <laughs> I didn't see a kid. It's a true story, but I saw the heater. The cold weather gives us... See, under normal circumstances, you know, you might not go... You, you wouldn't dream of being caught dead looking like that. But when it gets cold... And you just bundle up. You'll have these blankets wrapped around you. It gets really cold. You see grown men wrapped up in their daughter's pink blanket, and they don't even care. And inevitably, though, you, this statement will come out. What? I don't care how it looks. I didn't want to be cold. See, the thing that keeps us from being ashamed is when we appreciate the efficacy of a thing. We appreciate the fact that it works right into the corinthians the apostle paul acknowledged that the gospel is foolishness to the world do you understand paul is willing we as evangelical christians i think sometimes get so wrapped up in our commitment to christ wrapped up in our confidence in the gospel that we lose sight of the ridiculousness that is the gospel of jesus christ paul says it is foolishness to the world why because our claim is that a man died rose again not just that he died and rose again but that he was virgin born son of god and that in that death he atoned he made right righteousness for our sin and that somehow or other mystically spiritually as a result of that death burial and resurrection and then ultimate ascension that that righteousness of christ is available to us if we would just call upon the name of the lord and be saved paul says oh, i got my voice kind of high right there did you hear that like I'm going through puberty again. Paul says, that's kind of embarrassing. I'm kind of ashamed of that. 
quiet. I'm going to need that bottle of water sitting up here in front of you here in a minute, I think. It's in my seat right there in the seat. Anyway, Paul says that I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Why? For it is the power of God of salvation. It is the power of God for salvation. Why is he not ashamed? He says, I've got nothing to be ashamed of because the gospel is powerful. This is why people say, I don't care how I look. They say, because I am warm. The gospel is the power of God for salvation. Paul knew this power. As a matter of fact, not only did he say to the Corinthians that the gospel was foolishness, he said, I came to you claiming, preaching, speaking about knowing nothing other than the gospel of Jesus Christ. That was all he did. Thank you, pal. That was it. You understand? That was all. He had all these other things, these rhetorical opportunities in, in, in front of him. Paul was a learned man. Paul knew the Old Testament scriptures. Paul had been trained at the feet of Gamaliel. As we read Paul, we understand that Paul knew a little bit about something. And yet when he showed up, he said, I came claiming nothing except the gospel. What is the gospel of Jesus Christ? The gospel of Jesus Christ is simply the claim that Jesus was born of a virgin, lived 33 years of sinless perfection, died on a cruel, rugged cross, was buried in the grave, left there, and then three days later rose victorious over death, hell, sin, and the grave, and then 40 days later ascended into heaven to be at the right hand of, the, of God. Do you understand that the gospel is not a theological manifestation? The gospel is historical events. The gospel is the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, period. We don't have to, 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 to jump into deep theology to understand what the gospel is. We simply have to know what history is. Jesus actually died, was buried, rose again. Do you understand that when we think about the historicity of Christ, there is no doubt about whether or not he existed? Do we know that? Do you, do you realize? Like, as people try to cast dispersion upon Christ... Nobody, let me back up, nobody with any sense has sought to say he didn't exist. That he existed is, 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 is of historical record, not only within the scripture, but even outside the scripture. As a matter of fact, we even have extra biblical evidence to suggest that people believe that he rose from the dead. And the Bible teaches us that the disciples were so convinced that he rose from the dead, they all died in that conviction. All right? So Paul says it is foolishness. So why would he continue to do it? Why would he continue to preach it? Because it is powerful. It is the power of God. What? The power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first, also to the Greek. Now watch. For this Gentile audience that Paul was writing to, it was important for them to understand. For, the, for many of the Gentiles that would hear this, what? Yes, the Jews received it first, but it's good for you too. This is an inclusive gospel. All who would call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. Paul's going to make that very clear to us as he preaches, or as he writes to us in Romans chapter 10, that if we would just call on Jesus, we can experience salvation. Foolishness of God. But the gospel is not only the power of God, or excuse me, when I say it's the power of God for salvation, what is salvation? Salvation from hell, salvation from sin, from death, from shame. But we're not only saved from something, and that's an important thing for us to remember. We are saved to 
something. We are saved to eternal life in heaven, to union with Christ, to forgiveness from our sin, to freedom from our shame, our hurts, and our past. The gospel is power of God for salvation, but the gospel, we should trust it not only because it's powerful, we should trust it because the gospel also reveals. It reveals God's righteousness, and in so doing, it shows us our own lack of righteousness. We're doing a new event at Camden Elementary School. I was working with some fifth grade boys. We're teaching them how to tie ties, how to do things like hold a door for somebody, shake somebody's hand. We're, we're just trying to teach them some very practical things for the guys, and then it's a group of ladies doing that for the girls. I, I, I don't wear a long tie very often anymore. I wear bow ties when I wear a tie because I don't, have to, I don't drag those through my mashed potatoes. They're a lot more convenient. Okay, for those of you that think it's just preppy and you wonder why I wear them, there's a very practical reason. I don't have to worry about getting things on a bow tie, okay? But it's been so long, and I didn't realize this since I've worn a long tie. I had to dig to find one first that wasn't completely outdated and, and, and out of fashion. I mean, I, y'all, I've got some ties that I'd be embarrassed to wear. But then as I pulled them out, here's what I noticed. I pulled one out, and I started to put it on, and I looked. And, and in the sort of the dark, of my closet looked fine but as I stepped out and put it on and those big bright lights over our bathroom mirror I noticed this huge stain on the tie it didn't show up didn't show up in, in the darkness but when it, when it was exposed to the light the stain just jumped out folks the gospel reveals not only God's righteousness and understand that when God's righteousness is revealed is revealed we see our own lack of righteousness. It becomes a light that illuminates everything around it and shows us our own sin. The gospel empowers us to experience God's salvation because it allows us to see our sin and to call upon our Savior. It's God's power for enabling us to live a righteous life because in the gospel, God exchanges Christ's righteousness for our unrighteousness. How can you make a gospel impact? What is the recipe for making a gospel impact? How can you move from this idea that you just got to mix it all up and hope something good comes out? The first step is to trust in the power of the gospel. To actually believe that it's enough and to trust it so strongly that you're willing to follow Christ's commands and to allow that gospel, that good news of Jesus, to permeate and impact every aspect of your life. Folks, I can tell if you trust the gospel by telling how you make decisions in your daily life. People who trust the power of the gospel, who actually believe in the power of the gospel, they live according to Christ's commands. They actually seek to apply Christ's commands to the small parts of their lives. Right? So when Jesus gets a hold of somebody's heart, he doesn't just stop there. He begins to transform things like the thought life, the practices of the way that they live, Jesus will transform your friendships and your relationships. Jesus will transform your checkbook. Because when he gets a hold of your heart and he begins to work, and when you begin to trust him, then people start doing crazy things with their money. They start tithing to a church. And somebody says, why would you give money to the church? And I say, because I believe that the hope for all of mankind is the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when I believe that the gospel is what the world desperately needs, then I'm trying to put my funds toward getting people all the help they can get. Things like that happen when we begin to believe in the power of the gospel. Gospel people begin to 
consider how it is that they use their words. Do they use them to build others up? Or to tear others down? Do they use their words to promote profanity and filthiness? Or do they use their words to promote holiness? Then we know that if we trust in the power of the gospel, as we, as we look at how much we allow the gospel to work within our lives. Second thing, not only should you trust in the power of the gospel, the second thing, live out your faith. Listen, what team do you pull for? It's football season, right? How do people know who your team is? Today, it's a pretty good day in the state of South Carolina. The Tigers won, the Gamecocks won, right? People are pretty happy for the most part. Even the Georgia Bulldogs won. It's tough for the rest of us, but it's true. You know, but I, I, most of you that are football fans, I can go to your house and I can figure out. Some of you got the flag flying out front. And if you don't like football, maybe you like baseball or something else, even hockey, we can figure out what you like and what you're about. Several weeks ago, I was going during, during a Carolina game to pick up, that's a South Carolina game, uh, I was going to pick up food for our family, and we were stinking it up on the field so bad. I kid you not, I went to my closet to grab a shirt, and as I reached into my closet, I asked myself this question, will anybody know that I'm a Gamecock fan by the shirt that I'm wearing? No, they won't. Okay, I can go in public right now. It's true. I, it's, I'm not saying it's right, but that's just exactly what happened. It was bad. It was, it was the Vanderbilt game. Y'all remember that? It was, it was awful. Listen, how do people know that you belong to Christ? How do they know? Is, are you living out your faith? If Paul wasn't ashamed of the gospel, then he was willing to be seen as a follower of Jesus, willing to be known as a follower of Christ. Do you live your life in such a way that the world around you knows that you're a Christian? Do you live your life in such a way the world around you knows you're a Christian? Do you represent Christ to the world? The Bible says right here in Romans chapter, excuse me, chapter 1, verse 18, the righteous shall live by faith. The righteousness of God here is best understood to be multifaceted. So the righteousness of God is, is first that imputed righteousness of God. Now that's one of those big sort of theological words. The imputed righteousness means this. When I, when I became a Christian... In that moment, when I, when I prayed and I said, Lord, I know that I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. In that moment, what happened is that God took my sin and in the place of my sinfulness, He gave me Christ's righteousness. That's the imputed righteousness of God. It's a forensic experience. My life was changed. The way that God views me was changed in that moment because Jesus died on the cross for my sin. That's the imputed righteousness. So the righteous shall live by faith. So the first thing is that there's this imputed righteousness. But the second thing we see, and this is a, 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 a reference from the book of Habakkuk. And at the very least, we've got to also have the idea here that those who are righteous, those who belong to God, will live according to their faith. Folks, not only do we need to trust in the power of the gospel, we've got to live out our faith. This simple aspect of living our faith in such a way that the world knows that we belong to Jesus. Do people know that you belong to Jesus? I believe I've shared this before, but it's just such a great illustration. I'm going to share it again. I had a friend who was talking about attending a Christmas party with coworkers one time. And how surprised he was to discover that one of his co-workers was married. He said, it was a real surprise to me to meet his wife. I said, well, why was that such a shock? He said, because of the way that he speaks to every woman that he encounters. 
Nobody thought this guy was married. But of the people that encounter you, first of all, let me just say, as it relates to my relationship with Angela, it is my goal to make sure that nobody knows me for more than five minutes and doesn't know that I, be- that I belong to her. I, I, I want to be known by my relationship with her. That matters to me. It's an integral part of who I am. But y'all, the same thing has to hold true to at least the same degree of our relationship with Christ. Is there anybody who has known you for more than five or ten minutes who doesn't know that you belong to Jesus? Do your co-workers know that you belong to Christ? Do your friends and family know that you belong to Christ? If so, how do they know? Did you have to tell them? Watch this. If you had to tell them, you're probably not doing something right. Now, we're going to get to the telling part in just a minute, but our Christian faith should be such an integral part of the way that we live our lives that the world should see a difference within us. Not a pretentious difference, right? Not a better-than-you difference. A difference that just says, I choose to spend my time my talents and my treasures in ways that bring glory and honor to Christ rather than in ways that bring glory and honor to me. Followers of Jesus live according to a different code of conduct, a a conduct, a code of faith in Christ. A lot of people want to say, how can I make a difference for Jesus? We want to make it really, really hard. And I want you to know it's not that hard. You can actually do it. It begins with an absolute commitment and trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But in addition to that commitment and trust in the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, there's got to be this living out of our faith so that every day, day in and day out, the world sees something different in us. And that difference is the gospel sort of flowing through us. We talked just a little bit last week about the importance of being a Barnabas, right? Of being an encourager. Y'all, one of the greatest ways that we show the world we belong to Jesus is to be encouragers of others, to allow that to flow out of us. But but what did Jesus say that the world would know you're my disciples if you have love for one another? Folks, do you have like a palpable, noticeable love for the brothers and sisters in Christ in your local church? One of the greatest ways that we're going to testify to the love and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ is in the way that we love others within our local church body. Why? Because there is no more messed up, mixed up, strange gathering of folks than the local church. I'm not saying y'all are. I'm saying other churches are. Y'all are really normal. If we do church right, then churches are made up of people from all sorts of different backgrounds. You got poor people and rich people and people everywhere in between. You got addicts and not addicts. You got people from the right side of the tracks and the wrong side of the tracks. You got people from all sorts of ethnic backgrounds. You got people from all sorts of home backgrounds. You got people that have experienced all sorts of good things and people that have experienced all sorts of bad things. See, that's what the church is. This is one of the reasons, let me just say, this is one of the reasons that Malvern Hill was able to weather COVID and to come through it healthy because as a church body, we were focused upon Christ and not everything else. We recognize that a church can be made up of people that that behave, or excuse me, hopefully we behave in similar ways, but that have all sorts of different hobbies and interests 
that maybe have different political backgrounds, but when it's all said and done, we can agree that Jesus Christ matters most of all. And as a result of the relationship that we have with Christ, we love one another anyway. This is why Jesus said the world will know you're my disciples by your love for one another. Because the world looks around and goes, now how do you know him? Where's that relationship come from? You say, well, we go to church together. And they go, well, that's kind of weird, isn't it? You say, no, it's really not. It's really not. We're very different, but we share this in common. We love Jesus, and we belong to the same. You ready for this? Faith family. Thursday, I'm going to get together with my family. I don't know how many of them are listening, so I'll be kind. But we want to get together with all these extended family members. Listen, if I put all of them up on this stage and y'all met us tall, you would shake your head and go, y'all are related? As a matter of fact, my family, my, my, my home family, my, 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 my people, my wife and my kids did a really ugly thing to me recently. We had some people, some friends over at our house, and they found these old pictures of me from middle school and passed these pictures around. Y'all, it's embarrassing. Coke bottle glasses with tint. Windsuit. It's bad. It's real bad. Matter of fact, somebody said, I've never seen anybody that changed so much. That does, it, it, that's not you, right? I said, no, it's, it's me. I'm ashamed to say. It's absolutely me. And I look at my mom and I say, why did you allow this to happen to me? Didn't you love me? Our church family looks a little bit like our earthly family. It's a little messed up. It's a little different. People show up in different kinds of vehicles, different kinds of backgrounds, different kinds of hobbies. Listen, your church family has Clemson fans just like your regular family. It's rough. In my family, we even have Duke fans. It's bad. But we live out our faith, and y'all, and I just want to really live in this moment for just a, just just a minute, or in this experience for just a moment, just a reminder that that the living out of our faith is not just in the way that we interact with the world around us, though that is a big part of it. Paul says that we are to be well thought of by outsiders. It should never be the case that somebody outside your church goes, "That guy goes to church." That guy. And usually, I go, "Well, how long have you known him?" Well, I was with him last week. I can't believe he was in your church. My favorite one is that guy goes to church. Yeah, you know, I knew that guy 10 years ago. Oh, well, then you don't actually know him anymore because Jesus has brought about a change. The world will know that we belong to Christ when we live out our faith. And then finally this morning, we, so, so watch. We need to, so how, how can you make an impact in the world? Trust the power of the gospel. Live out your faith. And then finally, be ready to tell your story. Now you say, Craig, I don't see this right here. Paul says, for I'm not ashamed of the gospel. Well, this not ashamed of the gospel is this carries at least with this idea that he's going to actually proclaim the gospel. Turn back with me to Acts chapter 26. It might just be one page in your Bible. Now, in, in Acts 26, we've got this whole story of Paul having been arrested. Now, Paul was arrested, and Paul was a Roman citizen, and Paul wasn't treated exactly right. And so they're doing all these things. They're talking with him, put him in this kind of trial. And Paul says, I appeal to Caesar. And they go, whoa, 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 what do, you, what do you mean? He goes, no, 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 I want to go and talk to the man. I'm tired of y'all. I need to go talk to him. Well, before he gets there, the Bible says that Paul ends up in front of a man named Agrippa. He's, he's a, a king there, and, and there he begins. So remember, Paul's in prison, or excuse me, been arrested. Paul's being kind of shuffled here and yon. And in this place, and 
Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel. Remember that. Paul was arrested for preaching the gospel. He finds himself before Agrippa. And what does Paul do? Paul doesn't say, you know what, this gospel of Jesus got me in enough trouble. I'm just going to go back to who I was before. No, no, the, Paul, the Bible says that when Paul found himself before Agrippa, his response was, great! I've got a different audience and a bigger platform. Verse 26, verse, chapter 26, verse 1. So Agrippa said to Paul, you have permission to speak for yourself. I love this. Then Paul stretched out his hand and made his defense. What a good preacher. Stretched out his hand. Well, king, I'm really glad that you've come here to hear me speak today. Agrippa didn't have too much experience listening to Christian preachers preach, especially Baptist preachers, did he? Because he'd have been like, whoa, whoa, hold on. you got two minutes. And the Bible says that Paul goes on this. The Bible calls it a defense, an apologia. But he, he presents this sermon before Agrippa. And in this sermon, he gives this long historical account. But the part that I want to focus on is that Paul says, I was, I was doing all these things, verse 19. Therefore, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision, but declared first those in Damascus, then in Jerusalem, and throughout all the region of Judea, and also the Gentiles, that they should repent and turn to God, performing deeds in keeping with their repentance. Where would Paul come up with this? Paul finds himself before the king. And Paul decides, this is the perfect opportunity for me to tell my story. Are you ready to tell your story? Peter, writing to one of the churches, said, Always be prepared to give a defense for the hope that lies within you. Are you ready to tell your story do you want to make a difference a gospel difference in the world listen to me i want you to trust in the power of the gospel i want you to live out your faith but listen you've not evangelized you've not done missions until you've also proclaimed the gospel message of jesus christ there's a statement a saying attributed to saint francis that we should share the gospel at all times and when necessary use words Historically, it's probably not true that Francis ever said those, those exact words. But theologically, it's absolutely untrue to believe that it's possible for us to share the gospel without actually using words. Nobody ever saw me cutting my grass really well and stopped and said, Boy, you look like you cut your grass in the name of Jesus. Will you tell me all about how to get saved? There have been many times in my life when I've had the opportunity to turn a conversation into a story about how God changed me and how He might change you. Do you want to make a difference, a gospel difference? You've got to be ready, able, and willing to tell your story. But I want you to remember, your story doesn't have to be complicated. And listen, there's not this like meter somewhere that says, okay, these are good testimonies up here and these are bad ones down here well the, the the bad ones are the boring ones and the good ones are the ones that involve like drugs and sex and rock and roll every single time 
that God saves a soul, it is a miracle of His grace because we are born sinners separated from God. And every time that He intercedes, He does so as a miracle of His mercy and grace. And He takes filthy, rotten sinners and He picks them up out of the miry pit and He sets their feet on the rock that is Jesus Christ and saves them forever. Folks, if we're going to make a gospel impact in the world, we've got to be willing to tell the story. So how can you make the gospel impact? First thing I want you to do is to trust in the power of the gospel and to act like it. Act like it. To actually believe it. You ever had somebody say, well, I, I, I believe you. Well, if they, they, they believe it and then they never do anything different about their lives, they keep doing the same thing. This is what drives doctors crazy when they sit somebody down. They say, you've got high cholesterol and high blood pressure and high all this stuff. And they go, oh, okay. And they say, if you don't do these things, then you're going to die. And they see them six months later and they go, have you changed your, your diet? Have you lost some weight? And they're like, well, I, I, I thought about it, but I didn't. And doctors are bashing their head against the wall going, I, I, I'm trying to help you. What's reality? No, the, the, these patients don't actually believe what they're being told. They don't believe it. Because if you believed it, you'd change. Do you believe it? Do you trust the power of the gospel? If you do, act like it. Live out your faith. Live like a follower of Jesus. I'm not telling you you've got to have like Jesus shirts on or something like that, right? I, I'm not saying that. You don't have to have the bumper sticker on your car. As a matter of fact, people shouldn't need all that to tell that you belong to Jesus. I'm not saying you shouldn't have the bumper sticker. I'm not hating on your bumper sticker. If you got the bumper sticker, please don't cut anybody off in traffic. If you got a Malvern Hill bumper sticker, please don't cut anybody off in traffic. Trust the power. Live out your faith. But you've got to be ready and willing to tell your story. If you've done everything else, you got a good, you've been a good example to others, but you, you, you haven't shared the gospel. Listen, you've not done mission work. You've not practiced evangelism until you've shared the gospel and the gospel is this jesus died was buried and rose again for your sins and mine i encourage you to tell your story and to make a difference not my story tell yours make it personal phillips brooks famously said my favorite definition of preaching is that preaching is truth through personality you see, people want to hear the truth, but they want to know how that truth has impacted your life. I bought something a while back, and I, I sent it to a friend of mine. I said, man, this, this thing gets really good reviews. I'm going to buy it. He called me, and this is what he said. I want you to tell me how you like it, and then I'll decide if I'm going to get it. I said, man, you, you've got access to all the information I had. He said, but I want to know what you think about it. I want your experience. Folks, people want to know what your experience has been with Jesus. What did Jesus do in your life? Maybe the reason you don't share your gospel story, though, and I, listen, maybe the reason is because you just don't have one. You ever sat in a room where everybody else was talking about their experience, but you, you just didn't have one to share? I get, I get in a room with some of you military guys every once in a while, and y'all talk about this deployment and that deployment and, and this place and that place, and I'm sitting there and like, I got nothing. I'm just sitting there like this. I don't have that story. I have nothing to contribute. Some of you have nothing to contribute because you don't have a gospel story. See, the, the reality is you, you've gone through the motions. 
you've, you've tried to, to live a decent life. You, you show up at church. You might even write a check every once in a while. But you look in the mirror, and you know that your life is just like that tie that I put on. As long as nobody looks too close, it's not that big a deal. When the light shines, the truth jumps out. And the truth is there's big stains in it. It's never been dealt with. Because you've never called upon Jesus Christ to save you. See, your gospel story is simple. It's who I was before I met Jesus. What Jesus did in my life. And what I've been since Jesus changed me. My, my gospel story is one of those boring stories. I grew up in a Christian home. But as a, as a child, nine or ten years old, I became aware and convinced of my sin. I had been exposed to the teachings of God's word and I knew that because of my sin, if I died, I had no hope of salvation in Christ because I had never accepted Jesus. I knew that I needed to be forgiven for my sin. And I prayed with my pastor and I received Jesus Christ. And since then, I've tried my best to live for him. And I can tell you that over and over and over again, over and over, I've been reminded of God's grace in saving me from my sin. Not because of anything I did, but because of everything that God has done through Jesus Christ on my behalf. And you will see, that's my boring story. Some of y'all's stories are more eventful. Some of you can tell stories of notorious lives of sin and shame. I sat with a pastor this week who shared with me about how God rescued him from his addictions. I listened to a pa another pastor this week to tell how the Lord saved him. That his wife was fixing to walk out the door. He wasn't a father to his children. He was nothing but a drunkard and a waste. And God saved him and God restored his life and his relationship with his wife and his children. And then God called him to ministry and is using him to proclaim the hope of Jesus to others. Do you have a story today? Some of you, your story hasn't yet made it to that moment of climax, to that turning point. Your story is still stuck in a life of sin. And today is the day that you need to trust Jesus Christ as your Savior. That's the invitation this morning. If you're a believer here today, you've got to get serious about trusting the gospel living out the gospel and sharing the hope of the gospel. But some of you aren't sharing the hope of the gospel because you don't yet have the hope of the gospel. You don't have a story to tell. And so this morning, I want to invite you, urge you, 
thank you. See, we can, we can kind of get through in sort of the motions of church. And you just come, you put on your nice clothes, you put on your smile, you greet everybody, and you go home. But God's brought some of you here not to send you home the same, but to send you home changed. He brought you here today to break through your sin, your hard heart, your shame, and to give you a new story, a new birth in Jesus Christ. The Bible says, tells us in John chapter 3 that Nicodemus went to Jesus in the dark because he was afraid people were going to see him. Nicodemus was well known. You understand? Nicodemus was popular. People thought Nicodemus had it all together. And Nicodemus said, what must I do to be saved? And Jesus minced no words. You must be born again. Nicodemus, you're here in the dark because you're ashamed of me. Nicodemus, you've got to bring your sin to the light and embrace me and be changed. All who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. I told you that Romans chapter 1 verses 16 and 17 set the tone for the book of Romans. The book of Romans really climaxes in the promise that Paul gives the gospel invitation. All who call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ will be saved. Today, God wants to change your story. We're going to stand and we're going to sing. And when we do, I want to invite you to come. I'd like to share with you what it looks like to trust Jesus as Lord and Savior. To watch Him take your dry bones and breathe new life. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we love you and we praise you and thank you. Lord God, we know that outside of power and the movement of your Holy Spirit, God, there's very little hope. And so today I pray that you would open minds and hearts and eyes and ears to the powerful gospel of Jesus Christ. That people watching at home, that people gathered in this sanctuary, Lord God, will become convicted of their sin. Lord God, that they would stop worrying about what everybody else might think. That, Lord God, they wouldn't just come in the dark and ask Jesus. God, they'd be known and identified with his death. In Christ's name, amen. Stand, and as you do, let me tell you the end of Nicodemus' story. See, the end of Nicodemus' story is this. He was unwilling to identify with Jesus in his life because he was embarrassed. But at Jesus' death, Nicodemus was willing to be known as a follower of Christ. He was no longer ashamed. Today, will you be no longer ashamed? Will you come today and receive Jesus Christ as we sing?